0: This year, that's what we're focusing on. We're focusing on refreshing by looking at these basic functions of the Christian faith. You know, not everybody's faith is meaningful. And the reason why that is true is because it's not practical to them. As I've said before, and and I will say again and again, that faith in Jesus is only as meaningful as it is practical. And what we want to do this year is we want to make sure that that our faith is indeed meaningful because it is indeed practical and that requires focus. And so today we are finishing the first series of the year as we have been talking about refreshing our focus. We've been doing an exposition of Psalm 1. If you've got your Bible and I hope that you do, why don't you go ahead and take it out and turn to Psalm chapter 1. We're going to be focusing today on verse 6. As we, as we understand uh, the implications and the necessity to focus on Jesus. Our text today challenges us to focus on Jesus. I say this and we sing this and it's important that, that you understand this. Whether you're a Christian or not, I would encourage you to lean into this reality. There has never been and there will, there will never be anyone like Jesus. The the Bible speaks uh, so clearly. Uh, from beginning to end uh, about Jesus, I mean, I, I wanna, I'm going to throw a lot of scriptures at you right now just because I'm, I'm making a case for why we should focus on Jesus. There have been so many prophecies about Jesus. From the very day of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, God promised that Jesus would come. He promised Abraham that he would come through his family line, bless the whole world. He, he got focused on the, the line of David. He told David, it's through you that I'm going to bless the whole world. That promise to Abraham, that promise that, that came to Eve and, and was told to uh, to that that devil. And then then all the way to Revelation, we see how that promise was kept. Let me show you some scriptures. This is Genesis 3. This is the day of the fall. Speaking to his enemy, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He said, look, there's going to be a man who's going to come and he's going to be like no other. He's going to crush your head. He, He then told Abraham in Genesis 12, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, look at that, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that blessing was chosen through a specific line, through a specific king, King David. In uh, 2 Samuel chapter seven, look what God told David. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established, look at that, forever. Two times, repeats, forever. It's going to be forever. Yet, there was an end to the Davidic line in Jerusalem as the king and others were taken captive into Babylon. But even before they were taken, right before they were taken captive in Babylon, God renewed his promise through the prophet Isaiah. This is Isaiah chapter nine. We usually read this at Christmas, but God was again promising, I'm going to send the king. I'm going to send the Messiah. I'm going to send Jesus to save. And so he wrote, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David. Again, that promise to David being renewed and over his kingdom to establish and to hold it with justice and with righteousness from this time and forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so we know that the king did come and we know that Jesus Christ did did bring about a a transformation uh, in the souls of all who believe. And he makes us different. God's not done yet, but he has done what he promised he would do. Revelation uh, chapter one, verse five tells us so. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the old Testament scriptures from the patriarchs, from Moses to David, to the prophets. Jesus Christ has proven that he is the Messiah. He kept all the promises in his life and in his word. And now we have this hope that, that our sin can be forgiven. Our sin, when we believe is forgiven And this this coming sacrifice of Jesus Christ, again, it was promised hundreds of years before Jesus died. Listen again to the prophet Isaiah. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom uh, men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of his all. And the text goes on to describe how he would die. How he would suffer so that we could be saved. First Peter goes back to speak to this very nature of God saving and making us his own. It says in first Peter chapter 224, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed for you were straying like street sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus Christ came as God promised he would. He died the atoning death. He was raised on the third day, but let's not forget before he died, he said, not only will I be raised, but I'm going to return. I'm going to come back and I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to make all things right. Acts chapter one, verse 10, the day of his ascension, after having proven his resurrection for 40 days with his believers, making himself seen as a resurrected ruler. All the while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, look at this, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming back. He's coming back. What will it be like? First Thessalonians four sixteen. for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we see that this king will then be honored by everyone. Everyone will kneel before him, some gladly, some because they are forced. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the sovereign servant. He is king over all, yet he came to serve us. He kneeled and he was willing to die for us, but he's now been raised. And now we can trust him because he loves us, because he cares for us. In Revelation, we see, then I saw opened up and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's still mysterious. It will take all of eternity for us to recognize how glorious and great he is. He is clothed in a a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. He came as he was promised. He died to set us free. He is now alive and he is willing to care for us and to guide us in life. All we need but do is to submit to him. Now the world doesn't know what to do with him. I remember when I was studying philosophy of religion at at a university where they didn't believe in the virgin birth. They didn't believe in the resurrection, but they still honored Jesus. They didn't know what to make of him. And I remember reading this. He was born in in an obscure village, the child of a peasant. Here I was in this philosophy class and they're thinking, what do we do with this Jesus? Well, what's, what's so special? About him. Well, he grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never lived in a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure. Of the human race. I am well within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life. As I studied world religions in college, as I studied secularism, as I have studied now over the years, I have seen over and over that every world religion, every major world religion has to deal with Jesus. Every secularist, everyone who's a serious historian has to say, well, how do we account for Jesus? J. -J Warren Wallace, he said, every major religious movement considers Jesus to be an important religious figure. Every religion makes some effort to account for his existence and teaching. Even secular scholars are interested in the life of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I, it's not just that, it's in the entertainment industry. I, I saw uh, someone sent me a clip of a, of a, um, of a comedian. Uh, who was in a concert of comedians and for whatever reason felt compelled, uh, what would it be like to introduce Jesus Christ? And though his theology was bad and his ecumenical ideas were off, it was amazing as, as he went on and on how the crowd stood and applauded and even cried and began to jump at the idea that there would be one like one described. This, this, this king, this Lord, this love, this Jesus And we sing about this Jesus as Christians. We sing Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. Master, Savior, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, Jesus, let all heaven and earth proclaim kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name. We sing all hail the power of Jesus name. Let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Whether you're a Christian or not, it makes perfectly good sense that you would focus on Jesus. I would tell you it makes perfect sense that you would trust Jesus no matter what he asks you. If this Jesus is who the Bible says he is, and he is, then there's no need to bring any preconceived ideas of what you would expect other than his goodness and his love to transform your life and be everything that you've ever needed. He is the greatest. He is worthy of our highest esteem, and it only makes sense that we would focus on Jesus. And our text today gives us two things that that we can know as we focus on Jesus. If you're in your Bibles, you should be in Psalm chapter 1. Our focus is verse 6, but I'm going to ask Allie to come and read verses 1 through 6. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word. After she reads, I'm going to ask you to greet and encourage one another for just a moment. Allie, read for us the entire chapter. Blessed is the man who walks not unto the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and the law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. All he does, he prospers. Wicked are not so, but are like chaff, the wind drives away. <coughs> Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners of the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous by the way of the wicked will perish. Grass withers and the fire falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Take just a moment and encourage one another for just a moment. Uh, You know, we all focus on stuff and we got to be so careful about what we focus on, especially what is our primary focus, because here's the deal, whatever you focus on, that's, that's going to, that's going to really inform how you see yourself, how you see other people and really how you see the world. And and right now, boy, do we have a distraction or what? I mean, we have these screens all over the place. And I think, again, this is a tool, but it can also be a temptation, I recently read a book, I recommend it to you, uh, The Wolf in Their Pockets. Uh, it talks about the, the dangers of social media, uh, of, of how this allurement and, and what it can do. And, and here he writes the, the average user spends about two and a half hours a day on social media. Social media changes what we value and it changes what, how we think about the world around us. But the formative power of social media doesn't stop at our brains, it shapes our hearts too. Got to be so careful about what is shaping us and what will shape you more than anything else is what gets your focus. And that's why the Bible tells us clearly that we are to focus on Jesus, that we are to look to him. Hebrews 12, two says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted." Our text today really challenges us to focus on Jesus and what we need to be looking for, what we can know as we focus on Jesus. Two things. The first is this. We need to to focus on Jesus to to know his care, to know that he cares for us. I, I think if you can believe this, then you can trust him with everything else. I think one of the real challenges we face as human beings is is really learning to trust in him because, again, we all have preconceived ideas about what we think is right and best. We all have preconceived ideas about how how it is we think we should be able to live. But here's the reality. If Jesus Christ is Lord of all, and he is, then it only makes sense that we would trust him and know that he cares for us. It it says in, in verse six, look with me, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows He knows and he cares and he cares about all people because all people are made in his image. From the moment of conception, God knows and cares about every single human being because every single human being is made in his image. But there's a special care. There's a special love that is given to those who resolutely and publicly pronounce that he is Lord of their life. There's a special care. There's a special love. There's a special means by which we are able to live. We're able to do things like 1 Peter five seven says, causing uh, all your uh, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. We can trust Him with everything, and we don't ever have to be anxious because we can trust He has a plan. We can trust that He's a good shepherd. This is John ten eleven. Jesus said, "I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down His life for His sheep." See, in order to save us, Jesus had to die for our sin. And he paid that penalty to make us his own. First Peter two, he himself bore our sins in, in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You've been healed for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Have you ever really thought about how it is God is, has, has made clear that he will care for us? Uh, let me encourage you to do something. You're there in Psalm 1. Go 22 chapters to the right. Go to Psalm 23. Very, very famous chapter. Very famous Psalm. But what we see here is how Jesus, the good shepherd, is the shepherd who cares for the sheep. He is the one who provides. And I want to show you how he cares for us. As the good shepherd, Jesus cares for us and he leads us where he wants us to go. Look in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I don't know about you, but I don't always like to lay down. I'm a pretty active fella. But, you know, sometimes you get this voice kind of going. I get that cough going like I did this week. And I had to sit in a chair for a lot of hours. And, you know, it dawned on me, God, you want me to sit here. And there are times when God leads us to places where we have to be still where we have to listen, and that in and of itself is a grace. It's a grace in the ways that he cares for us. He, he leads us. He gets us to where he wants us, and there he restores us. Again, look at verse 23. He restores my soul. He is a healer. He, he takes what is broken, and he makes it right. He, he then leads us. Again, look, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me in the place that is right. It is the, it is the way of righteousness. It's the right way. Because he wants what is best for us. He wants what is right for us. He leads us even through dark times, even death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Even when we're suffering, even when we're hurting, even when we die. We are not alone. He shepherds us. He cares for us. And he gives us this glorious assurance of the hope of eternal life. Look how it ends. Look at this confidence. Is this your confidence? And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, if you know Jesus Christ is your savior and king, if you know that you know that you have peace with God through Christ alone, he shepherds you, he cares for you, and that gives you assurance. And that's the second thing that you need to know that you will know as you focus on Jesus. So write it down and remember, focus on Jesus to know his assurance. To know his assurance. Go back to to Psalm chapter one, verse six. It says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but then there is a curse, but the way of the wicked will perish. See, here's what you got to understand. There are those who are righteous and those who are wicked, and we're all born wicked. We're all born selfish. We're all born sinful, and we all think we know better than God, and we go our own way. But, but there are those who choose, who choose to trust in him And that's what salvation is. That's what it means to be a Christian, is that you are no longer trusting in yourself, but you're trusting completely in Christ. Now, if you're not trusting in Christ, let let me tell you what's what's going on with you. You're on your own. All that you have is what this world can provide. And, And here's the sad truth. This world is as good as it gets for you. But you know what? The opposite is true for those of us who are Christians This world is as bad as it gets. And and so for you who are choosing to go your own way, you need to understand you can choose the other way. You can choose to trust completely in Christ. And and absolutely, it's going to change your life. Absolutely, it's going to bring about a a, a new life because you're going to get something you couldn't gain on your own because of what Jesus has done. What has he done? This is 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus, holy God, lived a holy life in flesh as a man. And our sin was placed on him. As he was dying on the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, all our sin was put on Jesus. All of our sin. And he died with that sin on him which paid for it in full. And when we stop trusting in ourselves and we trust in what Jesus has done in his holy life in his atoning death and his resurrection power, then we get new life and we're made something we weren't before. We are made righteous. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We, we all want harmony. We all want the world to be a perfect place, but it's not. And the reason why it's not is because of us. Uh, again, when we look at three circles, we understand God's design was harmony and perfection. But our sin, our divisiveness has created brokenness. Everything that is broken, every broken relationship, every broken nation, every broken heart it, it is broken because of sin. But the good news is that God is a healer. And he sent his son to make all things new. And he can give us a new heart and a new life and a new identity and a new purpose. But we gotta repent. What that means is we gotta stop trusting in ourselves. And instead, trust entirely in Jesus Christ. Gain his forgiveness, gain new life, and then live out his plan, his purpose, knowing that that he is right, that he is good. Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, now, not only as, as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Look what it says. If you've repented and believed, he says, the word of God says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If you've repented and believed, you've been saved. Now you got to work it out. You've got it. Now you've got to work it out. Why in fear and trembling? Because you're not depending on you anymore. And that's a little scary. It's a little scary to have to trust in someone that maybe you've never seen before uh, other than hearing through the word and what what you can learn. It's it's a scary thing when you have to stop depending on you and physical things. And then to realize that that Jesus Christ has been raised, that he is alive, that he does love me. And, And we work this out for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We pursue it and we trust that. And here's what we trust. And this has always helped me tremendously is to know that while I'm playing checkers, God's playing chess. Have you heard that phrase? I think it's getting a little overused in sports these days. You know, Oh yeah, he's playing chess. Everybody else is playing checkers. What that means is that this player knows multiple moves long before they ever happen. And that is true of God. Do you realize that God Almighty, He not only knows everything that's going to happen to you today, He knows every single thing that is going to happen to you for the remainder of your life. Now think about what you don't know. I mean, some of you don't even know what you're having for lunch today. And that's fine. And now that I've mentioned it, you're thinking about it, right? And that's how it works. like, well, what are we going to do? And you're playing checkers. It's like, what's my next move, right? God is playing chess to an infinite degree. And he loves us. And he cares for us. And so we can trust him. I was talking to a pastor this week, and he, he, he knows that the place where he's serving right now, that that time is, has come to an end, and it's scary. It's a frightening thing when a pastor knows that what I've known and what I've been doing is now done, and as he's praying about, okay, what am I supposed to do next? He says, you won't believe this. I've never felt stronger in my faith. He said, I'm terrified, but here's what I know. He said, he said I know that, that, again, I know that I know that I'm saved that I've trusted Christ with my life. And he said, and I know that I know that I'm called. And I know that God has a plan for how he's going to use me in the world. And this is the goodness of God. This is how we work out this assurance, not only of our salvation, but of God's purpose for our life as we're leaning into him, trusting in his plan. And and what that allows us to do, and here's here's what I would encourage. You've heard this before, but again, I'll put it on the screen. Don't let your circumstances determine how you view God. Let the goodness of God determine how you view your circumstances. No matter what you're going through, you can know God is good. He's got a plan. He's playing chess, not checkers. He's not panicking because of the the, the hard time I'm facing right now. He's not panicking because I'm in success and I'm I'm scared I'm going to lose it. It's going to all fall apart. I don't have to ever be afraid because he has the plan. He, He desires that no matter what we're going through, that we trust him. We trust his grace. The apostle Paul was facing a difficult time once and he, he talked about his pain as a thorn. We don't know what the thorn was, but it wasn't, it wasn't comfortable. And so he had a conversation with God and here's what he realized. He said, God, take it away, take it away. And so he came to the realization, look at this, this is 2 Corinthians 12, 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Here's the good thing about Christ. You never have to trust in yourself. How many times have you failed yourself? How many times have you said, I won't do it again. I won't say it again. I won't touch again. I won't do it again. And you did it again. Listen, we can't trust ourselves. How many times have people failed you? People who love you. God doesn't fail. We can trust Him with everything that we face, but we must trust Him. We must be found in the faith. It says in 2 Corinthians 13:5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith, test yourselves. Or do you realize that this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? What is the test? The test is a testimony, it's a story. It's your story. If your story doesn't have three parts to it, you failed the test. You say, okay, what, what, what does my story have to be? The first part of your story is life without Christ, life on my own. And that's how we all begin, without Christ. But then there's the second part of your story where you trusted in Christ, you asked him to forgive you of your sin, and you gave him your whole life and said, God, whatever you want, I trust you, you lead me. Forgive me, take me, lead me. And the third part is how God is leading you, how you are pursuing salvation how you're pursuing and recovering God's design, how you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. If that's not your story, then you've failed the test. And you may be a good person who's working really hard and trying your best, but you're not trusting in Jesus. And without Jesus, you're on your own in life and in death. But here's the good news. You can choose right now. You can choose right now to trust in Jesus. And you say, I don't know how to do that. Come see me after the service. We're about to be done. Find someone with a name tag or with a lanyard on. Go to Guest Connect. We'd be happy to talk with you there. Some of you are Christians, but let me ask you. Are you focused on Jesus? Is he guiding your life? Or has something else captivated you? Do you know more about Facebook than you do your Bible? Can you tell us more about politics than you can about the kingship of Jesus Christ? Why is that? Friends, repent. Focus on Jesus. And if you need help with that, we're here. I'm here. Our elders are here. Staff is here. We will be happy to help you. I want to pray for you and then I want to bless you. So let's stand together as I pray. Father, we know that you are a gracious God and that you want none to perish. And so Jesus, that's why you have come. You have come to set us free from the punishment and power of sin. And I pray today that you will set people free. And I pray that all their sin will be forgiven and you will take over their life and you will guide them into your perfect plan. God, I pray they won't leave until they talk to someone about making this their reality. God, I pray for me and for every believer in this room that we would recognize how we take our eyes off of you We focus on ourselves. We focus on things around us rather than the one true king. And so, Lord, forgive us and refresh us that we might focus on you, Lord Jesus. We ask you to do this, that we might be blessed and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.